As we uh, continue on Sunday nights, we, if you're not familiar, if you're guest and you happen to be visiting with us, uh, we are on Sunday nights talking about God's amazing grace, and grace has been a big theme at Northside this year. Of course, a big theme throughout the Bible. And the, the, this Sunday night series is really based on looking at how God poured out his grace, his unmerited favor toward individuals and people in the Old Testament and in the New. Once a year, Christy takes a test or two for her heart and her lungs uh, for her health condition. And uh, so far, every year that she's taken that, uh, we get back a, a little envelope from the doctor's office uh, unfold it, and it takes less than a quarter of the page. It says something to this effect. Christy Levering, we have received the results of your test, and you are unremarkable. We joke about that. Uh, but it, it's kind of a, something that's always stuck in my mind about how God uses the unremarkable. Uh, God has often used people in the pages of Scripture, and even in today's world, that by the world standards are unremarkable, uh, not, not anything unusually special or gifted about them. Uh, maybe you've felt as a Christian at times a bit unremarkable, a bit average, a bit common. Well, the good news is if you feel that way, you're in a prime position for God to use you. Uh, some of you may have been told that you're one in a million. Maybe some of your parents have told you you are one in a million. I got news for you, Cupcake. Even if you're one in a million, there are still 7,600 people just like you on planet Earth if you multiply it out. So uh, we understand that in a planet as large as ours, in a people as large as ours, and in the story of Christ, sometimes it's easy to feel sort of lost and small and common and average. Tonight we're going to look at how God did a remarkable thing through some unremarkable people. And I hope you'll follow along and join me as we look at glory in the fields. Turn to Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. As you're turning there, uh, I wanted to take just a moment to uh, make an announcement. Uh, some of you may know this. I think most of our shepherds do. Uh, but got a call this afternoon that Gail Black has passed away. Uh, he passed earlier this afternoon, and uh, he's been, of course, in hospice at the VA for uh, nearly a year. And uh, Prince of a Fellow, wonderful guy, uh, met with him uh, most of the time on a, about a weekly basis. And he always had a kind word, an encouraging word, and a story to share. And I'll miss him greatly, and I know many of you will as well. As we enter the season of Wednesday night meals, I often recall Gail sitting there at the table, uh, collecting money and giving change and encouragement and smiles along with that. A uh, great, great uh, man will be missed, a prince of a fellow, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing him again someday. At this point, time, we do not know any uh, funeral or memorial arrangements, but we'll announce those as we know them. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Luke writes these words, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared <clears throat> to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. The first thing we see is that these are people who were likely not very noticeable. They were very common, very average. The shepherds were a familiar people. Uh, Certainly a common sight in the first century around Bethlehem. Uh, The hills around Jerusalem were prime grazing land. We learned about that in uh, the 23rd Psalm. And we look on the hills, and though they're not uh, belly-deep alfalfa, they are full of these green patches where the shepherds would graze the sheep. In Matthew's account, in the second chapter, verse 6, if you care to follow along, uh, Matthew says this, But you, O Bethlehem, In the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Shepherds were a common sight. Bethlehem was a common shepherding town, a small town. And primarily uh, that was one of the primary occupations for that small little city. But out of that town of shepherds would come a shepherd. Uh, who would shepherd and guide and lead the Israelites and, of course, we know, eventually spread out to the Gentiles as well. These shepherds were common men doing common work. If you had walked by, if you had seen them uh, in first century, uh, you would not have even paid attention. Uh, They were watching the sheep at night. Uh, It was something that that had to be done year-round to protect them from... uh, Predators and those who might prey on the sheep and to make sure that they were uh, well rested. And the purpose of this was as they prepared the sheep, many of those sheep would be taken to Jerusalem uh, for the sacrifices themselves. Uh, There were lots of shepherds in the Bible. We can think of some of the characters, Abel, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David. uh, Lots of uh, individual men who served in this capacity. And I think there's a lot to be learned. We studied about shepherds in in some depth, but there's a lot of leadership lessons and a lot of spiritual lessons that we learn from the role of a shepherd. God, all throughout the story, not just at this point, but uh, he will use and he will give power to powerless people 
He will, he will use common, uh, common people to do uncommon things or to share an uncommon story. Uh, his purpose in doing that is when, when you use the powerless to overcome the powerful, it, it is evident very clearly where the power comes from. And see, if you use the powerful and the influential and the wealthy and, and the, the, the upper echelon of people of that day or this day, uh, we tend to give them all the credit. When you use common everyday folks, uh, it's easy to see that God is working. In the book of First Corinthians, Paul writes this, and I realize we're not in First Corinthians as a study, but <clears throat> I think the, the scripture here applies. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and following. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Uh, it doesn't say all. It doesn't say that all Christians have never been in such position. But it says it's not many of you. Verse 27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And while, while these common, familiar people uh, were doing their normal work of watching the sheep, uh, there appeared a fantastic picture out there in the field. So I can only begin to imagine what it must have been like that starlit night as they were doing a job that they had done many times before and that other shepherds had done before. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this field is a bright light, a, a character that is clearly supernatural, a character that is out of this world. The scripture in Luke calls it an angel. The word angelos simply meaning a servant, one who... Uh, is a messenger. They, they simply do. And, and perhaps you've heard sermons and series and studies about God's angels, and it's a fascinating topic. But from a spiritual perspective, an angel, from our perspective, an angel is, I mean, wow. And every time there's a, as a holy interaction with an angel, uh, the natural reaction <clears throat> is fear. That's what happens here in uh, verse 9. Uh, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, that's from our perspective. From the heavenly perspective, angels are sort of like shepherds, messengers. They do God's bidding. They do uh, what is required of by God. Now, how, how all that works, the Bible gives us just enough to tease us, not enough to fully explain how all of that is organized. But and from God's perspective, an angel just does what needs doing, just delivers the message that needs being delivered. And so the single angel appears, a servant of God, and he says, I have good news for you. Uh, this is uh, the first time that we could say the appearance of the gospel, which means good news. I have good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. 
Um, the gospel is good news. And although they didn't fully understand it, I have no doubt that the angel was smiling as he delivered it. Because he understood something that they fully did not. That this was good news of great joy. He says, verse 11, Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Um, this is one of two places where we, where we have the, the term Savior used to signify Christ. Uh, Messiah, Lord, uh, it's simply referring to the covenant name of God. And then he says in verse 12, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Um, we accept that story at face value. Uh, if you take a step back, you realize that a manger is typically not the normal place for a child to be. It's certainly a baby that has just been newly born. I remember, you know, you, you're a parent. You remember, of course, the first child. And and you you even at the hospital, people come to visit. You, you force them to wash their hands vigorously with, you know, antiseptic and and get all you know, all the way up to the elbows before holding and touching the child and if they touch something else and they have to re-scrub and, and just how careful you are with everything you know, i remember you know when they were little and you have the pacifier and you accidentally drop it on the floor and oh my goodness and you've got to you know get the boiling water and put it in there for 3 minutes and get all every, you know you just just everything has to be clean and pure and sterilized Mary and Joseph were unusual in this regard. I don't doubt it was similar. You're extra careful with the first. You know, by the time you're around to your fourth or fifth child, it's like drop it on the floor and just wipe it off on the pant leg, stick it in there. Don't worry very much about it. But, but here Mary and Joseph are with their firstborn, and they've both been told this is God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. How do you feel about putting my newborn the Holy One of God in a manger made for animals, a place that's stinky and gross and disgusting. It, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, the holiness of God coming into the mess of our world, but an unusual place for a newborn. The second picture we have after the angel, the first angel appeared, is this large heavenly host a great company is what my translation puts it. Of the heavenly host appears with the angel. This is a military term. What's interesting here is when you kind of look at this from the incarnation, from an angelic perspective, this is a battle that's being waged in the heavenly realms. When Jesus is being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says... As Peter grabs his sword and cuts off Malchus's ear, he says, listen, why are you coming out here with clubs and torches? Don't you think I have at my disposal legions of angels who are prepared at the word to take care of all of this? What's happening here is that, it, is, is that heaven is entering earth and it is a beautiful picture, but make no mistake, there's a real battle happening here in the heavenly realms. And the heavenly realms are peering into the earthly realms. 
And their result, their, their, their reaction from them is praising God, worshiping God, giving glory to God in the highest, and reminding them peace on earth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This is not the uh, classic Miss America answer, peace on earth. This is peace on earth, peace between God and man. Finally, at last, because of this child. It doesn't mean utopia. It does not mean things will ever be perfect. It doesn't mean it was perfect then, nor will it grow better and better. But in fact, peace between God and man can now exist because of this child. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith in Christ, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He was saying, peace is now possible. Peace can now happen. And again, we refer you back to the, the spiritual battle that we're in. And the angels are saying, uh, there are terms of peace. And God has provided them all through this child. The celestial hosts have a great message. And it is about a baby. The fulfillment of promise. Uh, Bethlehem, as we said, was uh, near is near Jerusalem. It was the place where the many of the sheep that that were grazed and and raised uh, were used for the sacrifice that would happen in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the little town of Bethlehem would provide the sheep for the sacrifice that was required. May we not miss the illusion there. The shepherds knew very likely where most of the mangers in Bethlehem might be. And so they proceed immediately. They hurry off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who is lying in the manger. Uh, the, the place of birth of King David the, and not just a king, but the king of kings. After this holy encounter, they spread the word, word like wildfire. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. This is a common reaction to, to the message about Jesus, to Jesus himself, and even after Jesus died and was resurrected, the amazement of the people is something that permeates his life, his death, and his resurrection. I hope we don't in Christ today, ever lose that sense of amazement about what God has done, about what God is doing, and about what God will do someday. The Apostle Peter, I know we're speaking of him on Sunday morning, he uh, says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with greatest care, even angels long to look into these things. The people who heard the shepherds were amazed, but the angels were amazed as well at what God was doing. Instead of destroying sin and all mankind along with it, he was rescuing them, redeeming them. And saving them. Mary's reaction in Luke, back to Luke chapter 2. She treasured up all these things and pondered them 
in her heart. She was seeing the promise that was made by Gabriel fulfilled this night. Uh, She pondered. The word there means she rolled it over again and again in her mind. And not just about what the angels had told her, but certainly about what the shepherds had said that they had seen and heard from the angels as well. And the shepherds marveled. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were filled with the praise and the adoration of God. This seems to be a common theme, uh, as we'll, uh, we saw in Mary's response with the Magnificat, the, the praise and the, the wonder and the adoration, the, the exalting, the magnification of God himself about what he had done. The shepherds respond in the same way. In a week or so, we'll see another reaction which is very similar. Their understanding of of what it meant. I mean, the idea of a Messiah, of a Savior, that was nothing new. From Genesis to Malachi, it's called the, the scarlet thread of Scripture. And, and this thread goes all the way through. And they knew a Messiah, a Savior was coming, but, but their picture of what a Messiah was to do, their picture of what a Savior was saving them from, their, their, their picture of what a Lord would be, was nothing at all what God had in mind. They were thinking of political powers and earthly kingdoms, and even Jesus' own disciples thought that way. But Jesus had to remind them that his kingdom was very different. And so when they hear about the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, they get all excited, as well they should, but they were just excited about the, for the wrong reasons. And I, I wonder if the shepherds, presuming they continued to do what they had always done, if every night following that, on a dark and starry night, similar to that night, if they would talk amongst each other and ask, Do you remember? I remember. The child and the mother. I wonder whatever happened to him. It is good news for all people. So what do we take away from this? Well, probably a multitude of lessons, and since it's a well-known story, it's easy, easy to overlook. But, but I'll give you one t- tonight, and that is this. Pay attention to what God is doing. We, we often expect and hope that he will do the big, majestic works, and the, the grand, wonderful miracles. And he has done that. But God, God often works in the common more than the uncommon, in the natural more than the supernatural, in the mundane more than the miraculous. So it's important for us to pay attention, to ask what God is doing and to listen and to watch and to pay attention and to not rule out just because it's common, ordinary, or every day that God is still not working. I ran across this in a on a Bible reading plan I'm on in Matthew chapter 11. This is Jesus praying, and he says this. He says, chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. 
Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. God has often used, revealed his grand things to very common, very ordinary people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 6-12, through 12, the Apostle Paul writes this, uh, speaking again as, as he did in 1 Corinthians about common, ordinary, everyday things. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 and following, speaking in jar, about jars of clay, he said, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. And you and I are, as followers of Christ, holy vessels, holy flashlights, if you will. He uses your heart to shine his light. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. By the way, that's us. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. But we are not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around the body in, in our body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Uh, Don't miss this, that there are a couple of hundred vessels here tonight. And my question is, as you look around for what God is doing, are you missing what God is seeking to do in your life? Are you letting him use your heart and your life and your hands to shine his light And to be used for his holy purposes. We'll see that again and again in the life of Christ. May we not forget it's still just as applicable in our lives today. If you're not sure where God is working, take a look in the mirror. Start looking around at the common, the ordinary, the everyday, the unremarkable. This is where God loves to work. The angels pronounced that it was good news of great joy to all the people. Uh, That story, at least, is old news, but it's still good news. In fact, I contend it's the best of news. May we not forget that. May we continue to let it pour through us that God became flesh, and he came down and he dwelt as a common person. Ah, he was different than you and I. The scriptures say he was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. He came to do a glorious work. His life, his death on the cross, and above all those, his resurrection on the third day. That's why we celebrate today. That's why we worship today. That's why we continue that, because of the work that God did when the holy became human. If you do not know Jesus Christ, uh, the opportunity is yours tonight to put him on in faith and baptism and to let him begin to shine his light through your heart. If you have a need or if you know Christ but you, 
need us to pray with you and for you and could use the encouragement of myself or one of our shepherds, please respond tonight. Meet me down front as together we stand and sing.